Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Corporate Casket. My name is Blair, and today we're going to be talking about more scams, kind of as per usual by this point. But more particularly, we're going to be talking about tech support and phone scams. And I'm sure we've all gotten that call before. I most certainly have. And if you follow my Twitter, you've probably seen me just ranting about these people that call me at least once a month now. And their whole gig is to tell me that they're going to sue me. And they've been on this lawsuit train since May, telling me that I have until June 6, 2020, or they're going to sue me. And well, would you look at the time? It's 2021. Anyway, I'm definitely at a point now where I paid for a private Skype number. So I just harass them all day long. And I just play around with the different like accents and different like voices that I don't use anymore in like these recordings. So now I take them out on scam calls. But anyway, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who's gotten these calls and how annoying they are. And there's a whole slew of them. There's different varieties, different flavors to choose from. In some, they're telling us that they're the IRS or Microsoft computer support or something, or maybe how our car warranty has expired or your student loan debt balance or something is not right. Or, you know, you know what I mean? There's there's just so many. But the question here is where do they come from and why aren't they shut down? Because my God, are they annoying? And if I could get to the bottom of it, I would. And that's pretty much the whole premise of today's episode is I wanna know where the hell these things came from and if there's a way to stop them. So let's get into it. One of the most well-known scams, someone claiming to be Microsoft and calling to help with a computer has reportedly been around since as early as 2008. But phone fraud itself has been around since the late 70s. In the late 1990s, the US Justice Department established that telemarketing fraud costs consumers $40 billion to $50 billion each year, or about 10% of the legitimate sales over the telephone at that time. As of 2000, annual fraud costs had increased to an estimated $60 billion. Con artists tend to target older Americans for phone fraud. In 1999, the American Association of Retired Persons, now known by the acronym ARP, estimated 56% of telemarketing fraud victims were age 50 and older. This group accounted for 36% of the population. Now, there are legitimate salespeople that call over the telephone after all, but with fraud on the rise, that only adds to the not so great image and name of the telemarketing industry. But that's a whole separate issue entirely. In the late 90s, ARP began a campaign to fight fraud. The president, Bill Clinton, warned consumers in his weekly radio address. The DMA telephone name removal list grew from 900,000 to 2.5 million names in less than a year in 1999, nearly as many as the 3 million on the DMA's mail preference service file, which is intended to reduce the amount of junk mail received by consumers. By 2000, the telephone removal service was up to 3.2 million names. In October, 2003, the national do not call registry was launched by the Federal Trade Commission. More than 50 million numbers have been registered since the October 1st start date. Needless to say, phone fraud has a hell of a past, but if it were so easy to stick your name on a do not call list and have it work, then I wouldn't be making this video. The problem is that while the do not call list can be effective in stopping sales calls, scammers don't abide by the registry. And it's not as if the FTC can just put unwanted call blockers on all our devices either. That's up to the individual. Plus, I honestly didn't know this, but robocalls themselves are actually illegal. 
seriously, the FTC website themselves say, if a robocall, a call that plays a recorded message is selling something, it's illegal unless you've given a company written permission to call you that way. So if I hear a robocall or a, we're calling about your warranty, or this is the IRS on the other line, I know it's a scam. The IRS never demands immediate payment over the phone. They mail a bill somewhere and they tell you that you owe them taxes. They don't ask for wire transfers, gift cards, or prepaid debit cards, but people do fall for this and it's ruined lives. So let's talk about some of the biggest ones, how they operate and how to avoid them. We'll start with the tech support one. How it works according to the FTC and firsthand accounts we'll get into is that the scammers first pretend to be a well-known tech company. Microsoft seems to be their first choice. They'll use lots of technical terms to overwhelm the victim and it convinces you that the problem's also real. After all, if these scams typically target the elderly, then grandma or grandpa might not understand what the scammers are saying when they're going on about RAM or hard drives or whatever the heck it is that they're saying. Then the scammers may ask for remote access to the computer, which lets them access all information stored on it or networks connected to it. They could install malware, steal data, try to sell you worthless software or repair services or warranty programs, ask for credit card information, or direct you to websites and tell you to enter payment information there. Now, many of us believe that that's the end of the story, that some call centers full of cold, unsympathetic people scam people out of hundreds of thousands of dollars because they need the money more, apparently. In some cases, that's true, but in others, there's much more to it. The BBC interviewed a former call center scammer, Piyush, who fit the narrative you'd expect. The company Piyush worked for would send a pop-up to people's screens, telling them that their computer had been infected by a pornographic virus or other malware and giving them a helpline number to call. As a panicking customer rang in, Piyush and his colleagues would milk them for money to fix a problem that didn't actually exist. Piyush tells me that tricking people is an art. We used to target the old people, he says. There are so many old people in the US who don't have families, are alone and are disabled, so it's very easy to trick them. I look at this man sitting opposite of me in his baggy jeans and hipster t-shirt and wonder how he could be so cold-hearted. How could he feel if his own grandparents were victims of scamming, I ask? Yeah, I will feel bad, he says. I did it because I needed money and that's it. Piyush tells me how once he forced a woman to hand over her last $100 so he could meet a target. For her on the other side of the world, it was Christmas. I took that $100 and she cried a lot while making the payment. Yeah, this is the worst call I ever had, he says. Yet there's other tech support scams that aren't as obviously cold-hearted, but just as, if not more dangerous. iYogi, for example, accumulated 170 complaints in one year, according to the BBB, and 400 in four in three years. And there's something funny about 404 complaints for a tech company, but whatever. But Ayogi wasn't a scam company halfway across the world, a call center pretending to be a business. They were one of the first companies to pursue global consumer help desk opportunities, extending remote IT support towards the managed service business mode across the USA. They were based in India, but operated in New York until they were sued and shut down. When people tried to call for help with a printer, iYogi would sell them antivirus software and subscriptions. Attorney General Bob Ferguson from Washington filed the lawsuit and said, iYogi representatives often take remote control of the computers of people who seek help, make ominous warnings flash on the screen, and then tell them they need to spend money to fix the virus. Typically technical support plans costing $150 to $380, or sometimes $80 for antivirus software. 
The company also falsely represents that it's affiliated with major hardware and software companies, including Apple, Microsoft, and HP, the complaint said, and even sometimes claims consumers must upgrade from Windows 7 to 10 with a cost of $80 to $199, even though Microsoft offers the upgrade for free. They were even supposedly going to continue opening in the US, announcing a main branch in 2015. Ayogi seemed more legitimate, they seemed real, but they misrepresented Microsoft, just like Omnitech, Comantra, and other tech companies that have fooled us before. In addition to this, there's the debt collectors, not the real actual debt collectors, and yes, you should totally pay those, but there are so many fake ones that it's actually insane. And this is where my little scammer falls into. They're they're in this category, which is why I really don't feel bad about fucking with them and wasting their time. The FTC has a list of fake debt collectors, just the ones they're aware of. And I mean, it's in at least the triple digits. You can click on view order on every single one of them and find a lengthy case number where each one is ordered to shut down. And it's no wonder the FTC can't take on every single one of these phone scams. Just the banned debt collector list seems like a pain to go through. Now, there are questions you can ask to be sure that that call is legitimate. Like what is the name? address and phone number of the company they're calling from, or what is the name and address of the debtor that they're trying to reach? And lastly, what are the last four digits of the debtor's social security number? That one's a bit of a trick question because a legitimate debtor won't answer that question as it violates the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. So a debtor that can confirm that information might seem legitimate for having it, but it's actually breaking the law if they give out those four digits. This also goes hand in hand with fake lawsuits, where these scammers say that if the debt isn't paid, you could face jail time. And that's the case with my little, you know, funny one that I've been stringing along for what, how many months now? I know it sounds insane, like who would actually fall for this, but there are people who fall for these scammers and they're absolutely ruthless. They are beyond pushy to a point where some people cave out of fear or frustration. Like these people have found my parents' phone number and have tried to harass my parents. They've tried to harass my sister. And I think they even harassed my aunt, like someone I don't really talk to that much, honestly. Like they try to find anyone they can get their hands on in order to get the scam. One retired teacher, Marilyn Bauer, got an automated message that said she'd been named in a court case and she should expect to be served soon. She was careful, called the police and didn't fall for it. Yet they've continued to call, leaving seven messages in two weeks alone. Nearly half of Americans say they've gotten calls like this too. And in 2018, over $10 billion was lost to phone scams. If I were elderly or if I did owe money in general to someone, I could absolutely see why this scam in particular would be the one that most people fall for. And I'll be totally honest, when I got the very first phone call, I panicked the fuck out. Like I thought I forgot a bill, I messed up, I was so scared. One of the first things I did is I went and checked my credit score and I did the whole like full credit thing, not the little credit karma thing, the actual pulling of your credit score. And if it is a legitimate debt, it will show up on your credit reports. And guess what? I had no outstanding loans or balances, which means that whatever they're attempting to collect on does not exist. So I knew by right then and there that it was fake but I decided that I've been stringing them along now. And now I have like this Italian assistant, apparently that she returns the calls because I'm always too busy. It's a fun game we play. Well, it's fun for me, not for them. And here's the thing, the FBI themselves have a recording of one of these fake debt collectors. And if you listen to it, I'm not gonna lie, it sounds convincing. 
In that moment, some people may not have the nerve to question that person's authority, stand up for themselves, or doubt this person that's literally threatening to arrest them. And for people that do owe debts, whether it's a payday loan or something else that these fake debt collectors have information into, it only makes them sound that much more convincing. And again, the big thing is they're going to be insistent that things are paid immediately. They're going to probably pull your public information file and say things like, well, do you live at this address? And can you confirm a time where we can like serve your papers or whatever? That's not fucking real. I just wanna be 100% clear with that. That's not how serving someone papers works. They don't schedule a time when they're like, oh yeah, um, would you be available on Friday at 3 p.m. to receive these papers for your lawsuit? Because no one in their right mind would fucking accept that. That's why people that serve papers sometimes will come, like seriously, will show up disguised or will go disguised to a location. Like I've seen it happen. It's the weirdest shit ever. And hats off to them because that is a scary job to have. But they're not gonna announce it. They just are there one day. So if someone's trying to schedule that kind of shit with you, that should be another red flag that this is not real. In regards to one of these operations being investigated, a law firm, Rothschild and Osbrooks, came out with some details. Here's what they said. The Federal Trade Commission suspects that California-based American Credit Crunchers LLC, Ebreeze LLC, and their owner, Varang K. Thaker, are involved in the scheme and have charged them with violation of the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Since October 2010, the FTC alleges that Mr. Thaker and his companies received over $5 million from consumers across the U.S. They added, personal information was taken from payday loan websites according to Federal Trade Commission official Stephen Baker. Phantom collectors then used a call to gather information and demand between $300 to $2,000 in payments. Victims have testified that threats of arrest and potential lawsuits were sufficient motivation to pay for the loans that they did not owe. And these are so frustratingly common and they can have absolute lasting damage. Though on a side note, there are some hilarious videos out there of these scammers calling police officers, saying that they're gonna be arrested and giving them fake badge numbers. So (laughs) maybe don't do that. Today's corporate casket was sponsored by Daily Harvest. Now, as many of you guys know, it's the new year and it's time to refocus on taking care of yourself. And today's sponsor, Daily Harvest, is making that just a little bit easier. Daily Harvest is a company that is delivering delicious food built on organic fruits and vegetables right to your door. My favorite thing from them is smoothies right now. I'm addicted to smoothies. I love them. They're so easy to just make and consume. They have a chocolate blueberry one that is literally just mm, chef's kiss here. It's blueberries, bananas, spinach, almond, cacao, maca. It's so good. But they also have like strawberry and peach, mint and cacao. There's like so many variations here of things for you to try. They have smoothies, flatbreads, they have bowls and soups as well. And the thing that's really important to me is they don't use preservatives, added sugar or artificial anything. And they just launched their first ever plant-based milk collection, starting with almond milk. Daily Harvest milk is made of only almonds and a dash of sea salt, that's it. And Daily Harvest is also committed to minimizing their environmental impact. They're in the process of transitioning to 100% compostable, recyclable, plant-based and renewable fiber packaging. Daily Harvest is undeniably delicious, clean food without any of the prep, which makes it much easier for me. So if you wanna get started today, go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code casket to get $25 off your first box. 
Again, that's promo code CASKET for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. And if any of you get this and decide to try some of the smoothies, let me know what you think and what are your favorites and do you like the chocolate and blueberry one or is that just a me thing? Let me know. Again, dailyharvest.com. However, neither tech support calls nor fake debt collectors or lawsuit threats are the most commonly received calls. Believe it or not, that title goes to the fake you've won something or prize calls with about 70% of Americans having received those types of calls. The fake lottery or you've won calls are actually one of the worst. In 2018, the BBC reported sweepstakes, lottery, and other mass market scams have become surprisingly common in recent years. The Better Business Bureau reported approximately 500,000 complaints related to just sweepstake and lottery scams over the past three years with losses of almost $350 million. Stacy Wood, professor of psychology at Scripps College, decided to conduct an experiment on this. She and her co-authors reviewed 25 successful mass market scams in search for common themes, crafted a one-page solicitation letter and sent it to participants in her study. In our first experiment, we asked 211 participants to indicate their willingness to contact the activation number on the letter. They were then asked to rate the benefits and risks of responding to the letter on a 10-point scale and fill out a survey intended to identify their level of numeracy, social isolation, demographics, and financial status. We found that 48% of participants indicated some willingness to contact the number regardless of which type of letter they received. The consumers who indicated they would have responded to the solicitation tended to have fewer years of education and be younger. These participants also tended to rate the risk of contact as low and the benefits as high. In the second experiment involving 291 individuals, we used the letters from the first one, but added an activation fee to half of them. That is, some participants were informed that to activate their winnings, they had to pay a $5 fee, while others were told it was $100. The rest saw no change from the previous experiment and all other aspects of the design were identical, except for a few additional survey questions related to participants' financial situations. We hypothesize that individuals who are willing to call and pay $100 would mean they are especially vulnerable to this type of scam. Even with the activation fee, 25% of our sample indicated some willingness to contact the number provided, including more than a fifth of those who were told it would cost $100. Similar to the first experiment, individuals who rated the solicitation as having high benefits were more likely to signal intention to contact. We thought this experiment would help us identify some special vulnerable subtype like the elderly, but instead the interested consumers in both experiments were exactly the same. Those who saw the potential for high benefits as outweighing the risk. There were no significant differences based on age, gender, or other demographics we looked at. Even though about 60% identified the solicitations as likely a scam, they also still viewed the opportunity as potentially beneficial. In some ways, these advance fee scams may act as unofficial lotteries, a low cost of entry, and a high chance of failure. While consumers are wary, they don't completely write off the possibility of a big payoff, and some clearly are willing to undertake the risk. Those percentages are insanely higher than what I thought they would be, to be totally honest. With cold calls, of course, these scammers are also contacting people that may be middle-aged or maybe a bit more well-educated above these things. But the fact that this many people fell for it or thought that this could be harmless to pay for the activation fee is disheartening, honestly. According to Stacey Wood and the article republished by the BBC, consumers also overestimate their ability to back out once they realize that it's a scam. 
So yes, to some extent, it's as simple as pressing the end call button. That's a temporary solution, but these scammers can be ruthless and relentless, calling, emailing, and sending junk mail. The FBI even published one story in 2016 where an 83-year-old Virginia resident lost half a million dollars to these lottery scams. She was told she just needed to pay taxes and other fees. Then before she knew it, she lost her retirement. Special agent John Gardner investigated her case and put the man that victimized her behind bars, but many, especially the elderly, continue to fall victim to these scams. He explains that it can be because they have financial difficulties or because they want to leave a legacy for their children or dementia and other problems with mental decline. Saddest yet, he explains that others are so lonely that they just want someone to talk to. Some scammers become best friends with their victims. Elderly people grew up at a time when people weren't defrauding people over the phone, Gardner said. They are not aware of these internet masking technologies and are generally not suspicious when the telephone rings. Real lotteries don't make you pay taxes first in order to get any winnings. The lottery in of itself is a scam if you ask me, but if you've ever had to pay an activation fee over the phone, don't. Aside from the tech, fake lawsuit, debt collector, and prize scams, we've also got some seriously dark ones, the emotionally manipulative scams. And these ones may not be as well-known or common as others, but they are just as disgusting, if not worse. And I mean like really disgusting. The so-called grandparent scam is a popular one targeting older adults, and it's seen an increase lately. In a fairly straightforward plot, the person on the other line will pretend to be a grandson or granddaughter of the older victim. They'll then concoct a story ending with a request for immediate financial assistance. Often, trick seniors will end up sending money via wire transfer to the scammers as a result. These scams are part of a larger category of family friend imposter fraud complaints. The FTC received 10,565 of this type of complaint in 2015 alone, according to ARP. Certain scammers, especially those targeting older individuals, will pose as family members seeking bail money in order to stir sympathy, credit industry analyst Sean Miser of Credit Card Insider told Business Insider. Even more disturbing, criminals who employ this type of information, including grandchildren's names, phone numbers, and even addresses. The FTC notes that these scammers typically buy or steal this personal information in order to sound legitimate to potential victims. So that's fucked up. Scammers faking that their grandchild is like up for ransom or in jail is ridiculous to me. Like this is creepy. And yeah, the tech and lawsuit stuff is is also very worrying and preys on people's fears, but this is taking things to a whole new level. It's these phone scams that bother me even more because it feels that much more cruel. Some criminals will even use the aftermath from hurricanes, earthquakes, tropical storms, and other natural disasters to steal people's money that are trying to help, claiming to be charities. And of course, that's not me saying don't donate to charities in a time of crisis, but that crisis times are especially important for investigations. There's literally COVID-19 charity scams out there, and not that I really would be surprised because scammers will take advantage of literally anything. It reminds me of Hunbot stories you hear about them contacting people over Facebook after a relative dies or something, and it's despicable because they're trying to exploit a negative situation, and this is really no different. Though, even within an MLM, at least you'll get some shitty essential oil out of the process rather than getting nothing at all. There's even YouTubers and streamers that call back scammers to bring awareness to this topic. Big fan of Kipboga, by the way. So I went to some of these channels to have a laugh, but also to try and get a feel for how these calls operate. 
Some robocalls will say they're fundraising to benefit families who have had police officers die in the line of duty, clearly trying to pull on their victims' heartstrings or make them feel guilty. There's also scams in the name of National Police and Troopers Association, which the BBB has put an alert out for. The pattern of complaint reads, BBB files indicate that this business has a pattern of complaints concerning problems with product and service. Complaints allege the business may aggressively request donations, frequently call consumers who have made previous donations to request additional money, call consumers who have provided donations, indicating the business did not receive the funds committed and request more money, and make numerous frequent calls to consumers who had previously denied the business's request for donations. BBB contacted National Police and Trooper Association to address complaint history concerns. The business did not respond. And I gotta say, it's pretty ballsy to use the police in your scam name. So, you know, that's, I mean, you got big balls there, that's for sure. But I think it also helps make people like be less likely to question it as well. Just whatever you're donating to, whether it be a firefighter's relief charity, a hurricane relief, anything, it nothing should be immediate in that phone call over the phone and, and you shouldn't feel pressured into it. Kids Wish Network may have been an actual charity. They, I guess they still are technically, even though they're pretty despicable. And they actually use some of these tactics, like seriously pressuring people on the phone to donate immediately. But that was an entirely different video a couple months ago. They are unfortunately real. The thing is, if this charity, fundraiser, support group, whatever, if these types of scams, you know, like if those companies are real, they will exist an hour, a day, a week from when they called you. And they should always have a callback number or a website where you can handle those donations remotely as well, if you so choose to. Sometimes taking some time away to investigate and think about where your money's actually going is important, especially in these trying times where people are legitimately out here faking just about everything. The FTC reported imposter scams as the number one fraud of 2019, with an estimated 667 million given to imposters. They defined it as people pretending to be from the government, a well-known business, a romantic interest, or a family member with an emergency. So it encompasses a lot of what we talked about today. There are other scams out there, aside from the ones we've addressed, but these are definitely some of the more common phone ones that I'm aware of and that I think are worth addressing and bringing more information about. After all, it's a billion dollar industry profiting off people's good nature and fear. And even if you think your grandma or grandpa or elderly neighbor or whoever could never fall for such a thing, it might be worth mentioning this to them too. So with all of that being said, that's where I'm going to end today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I want to thank you all for tuning in to another episode. And if you enjoyed it, make sure to follow this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to so you never miss another upload. I upload every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 8 a.m. PST. If you wanna connect with me outside of the podcast, my link tree with all of my links nicely organized on a good old landing page are available, as well as all the sources I use to create today's episode. So thank you all for making it. I love you guys, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.